I thank God for our musicians and for all who have led us in worship today. Grateful to be worshiping with all of you who are joining us online, as well as all of you who are worshiping with us in our sanctuary. Today we conclude a sermon series on head scratchers, Jesus' surprising stories. But I do want to let you know now that next Sunday we begin a new sermon series called Rediscovering Church. We're going to be talking about the church for October and most of November. So I hope you'll engage with that series as we continue to study together. But today, a look at one final parable, Matthew 13, 24 through 30 and 36 through 43. I'll read from the New Revised Standard Version and the title of my sermon is, Let Them Grow Together. He put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to someone who sowed good seed in his field. But while everybody was asleep, an enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and then went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared as well. And the slaves of the householder came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? Where then did these weeds come from? He answered, an enemy has done this. The slave said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he replied, no, for in gathering the weeds, you would uproot the wheat along with them. Let both of them grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, collect the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned gather the wheat into my barn. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples approached him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed are the children of the kingdom." The weeds are the children of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are collected and burned up with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will collect out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all evildoers, and they will throw them into the furnace of fire, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Let anyone with ears listen. Let us pray. Lord God, in this preaching moment, I simply ask that you would help me to speak your word. Help them to hear your word, and Lord, help us all to do your word. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. I have to tell you about my late friend, Joe Sawyer. I've been thinking about Joe all week because he once said something that helps me to interpret this scripture. But let's begin with the parable 
itself. A man sowed good seed in his field. Then someone came at night and sowed weeds among the wheat. Ancient Roman law prohibited sowing noxious plants in other people's fields, but apparently it happened from time to time. As the wheat grew, the weeds grew along with it. The slaves noticed, so they asked, Do you want us to go and gather up the weeds? It was a logical suggestion since weeds were infesting the crop and competing for vital resources including sunlight, moisture, and nutrients from the soil. Why not immediately gather them up, weed out the field, and purify the crop? Problem is, weed removal often ruins good plants too. Weeds and wheat grow in such tight proximity that they intertwine and any effort to destroy the weeds inevitably harms the wheat, causing a lack of fruit in the field. Thus, to the question of whether the field should be weeded out, the man replies, no, let both of them grow together until the harvest. The story, of course, is not agrarian in meaning, but theological, spiritual, and ethical. Jesus later explains that the field is the world. The wheat are children of God's kingdom. The weeds are children of evil. And harvest time is the end of the age. The parable grapples with the historical fact that some receive Christ and his word with faith, while others oppose or disregard him. He came to bring God's salvation to the entire world, yet many have resisted and evil has persisted. The question therefore arises as to the best way to handle those who disbelieve Christ. The answer Christ himself provides is let them grow alongside the wheat until harvest time. Let both of them grow together until the final judgment. As always, Jesus practiced what he preached. In Luke 9, when a Samaritan village refused to receive him, his disciples James and John said, Hey, do you want us to command fire from heaven to come down and consume them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. In Matthew 15, the disciples said to Christ, Hey, do you know that the Pharisees took offense when they heard what you said? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. The way for Christians to deal with those who disbelieve Christ is not to uproot them, but to coexist alongside them. 
Our role is to grow, to develop, and to bear fruit as wheat. Not to pull up the weeds. We can hardly tell the difference between the two anyhow. Not only are the weeds and wheat interlaced, but they look strikingly alike. The Greek term translated weeds is zazania, which probably refers to darnel. In the early stages of growth, wheat and darnel are virtually identical. Only after coming to fruition can the two growths be clearly distinguished. From an agricultural perspective, then, it makes sense to wait until harvest time to separate the two plants because weeding out the field in the meanwhile might lead to stalks of wheat being mistaken for weeds and getting yanked up thereby curtailing the harvest. The harvest is what reminds me of my late friend, Joe Sawyer. He was one of the most interesting Christian people I've ever met. I must tell you about him, but first, we need to reflect further on the question about weeding the field. I'm no gardener, and I don't pretend to keep a meticulous yard, but I have cleaned out a flower bed before, and I have pulled weeds on occasion. Years ago, I was working alongside someone older and wiser as we weeded out a landscape together. I was struggling to tell the difference between the weeds I was supposed to pull and the plants I was supposed to leave, so I asked, how do you tell the difference between the weeds and the other plants. The reply was memorable. Whatever you don't want growing in your yard is a weed. It's true. <laughs> Some people think dandelions are weeds, but I let them grow in our yard when my daughters were young because they delighted in the little yellow blossoms. On the other hand, we uprooted two beds of well-established marigolds at our former house because my wife Dana is allergic to them. Whatever you don't want growing in your yard is a weed. Notice, however, that the field in the parable is not our field. We can't just uproot whatever we don't like because the field belongs to God. We can't just go around extracting growths that don't suit our particular preferences because the yard belongs to God. We have neither the right nor the responsibility to weed out God's world. We have neither the qualifications nor the calling to do away with weeds. According to the parable, we must leave that to God at harvest time. We are not to judge because it's not our field. We are not to judge because we can't clearly distinguish the weeds from the wheat. We are not to judge because what looks like an obvious weed to us might turn out to be a fruit-bearing stalk of wheat. We are not to judge because Christ already said in Matthew 7, do not Judge. We are not to judge because Christ didn't say, take up your gavel and follow me. He said, take up your 
cross. The ethic embedded here is crucial for all Christians and cherished by Baptists. The earliest Baptists in 17th century England saw this parable as lucid evidence that heretics should not be harmed, imprisoned, or coerced by the state, but rather persuaded by a genuine gospel witness. My colleague, Dr. Lee Knipe, pastor of Providence Baptist Church in Charlotte, writes in his book entitled Loyal Dissenters. The parable resonated strongly with the early Baptists who understood it to be a clear example of Jesus' remarkably patient attitude regarding the persistent presence of religious error in this world. When proponents of coercion argued that deviations from orthodoxy must always be uprooted swiftly and forcefully lest they spread, Baptists responded by pointing to the story of the wheat and the tares. Indeed, in 1620, a Baptist named John Merton wrote from prison on a smuggled piece of paper that Christ calls his followers to practice patience rather than persecution because those who are now weeds may hereafter become wheat. Those who are now blind may hereafter see. Indeed, but even if they don't, the work of deciding who's in and out of the kingdom is God's work, not ours. It's not our call. It's not our responsibility. It's not our purview. Truth be told, each of us is a mixture of good and evil. None of us is worthy to stand above the field in transcendent perspective, making definitive adjudications about the state of its inhabitants. We are not the landowner or the reapers in this analogy. We are the wheat at best. As wheat, we are called to grow and develop in our own fruitfulness, not to uproot anybody else. Christ has not called us to judge the souls of others, but to flourish in God's field and to bear much fruit despite the infiltration of other vegetation. The parable teaches patient endurance and neighborly respect of those who differ from us theologically, spiritually, and philosophically. This doesn't mean we don't preach the gospel and evangelize those around us. This doesn't mean we don't exercise a witness of love and joy and kindness. This doesn't mean we don't work for justice and righteousness and peace in the world. This doesn't mean we espouse moral relativism or theological wishy-washiness either. We can practice Christian discernment without judging souls. We can offer a compelling Christian witness without disrespecting non-Christians. And we can stand up for what we believe is right without uprooting the weeds. We can be confident in who we are as wheat, secure in our identity as children of God's kingdom, so that we aren't threatened by those who don't conform to our way of thinking, our way of worshiping, and our way of living. 
It makes me think of my late friend Joe Sawyer. He was not threatened by people who thought differently than him. He was who he was, a distinctive individual, idiosyncrasies and all. And he had his own personal faith in Christ, regardless of what other people thought. Joe didn't expect everybody else to think exactly like he did. He didn't expect everyone else's conscience to perfectly match up with his. He was fine being himself and letting other people be themselves. Joe was a classic Baptist in this way. From our inception, you see, Baptists have championed religious freedom for all people, whether they practice Christianity, another religion, or are spiritually disinclined altogether. Baptists have steadfastly rejected any governmental imposition of religion on the grounds that all people should be free to worship or not, according to the dictates of their own conscience. As James 4.12 says, there is one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. So who then are you to judge your neighbor? Still, people worry that if they set foot inside a church, they will be immediately judged. I know this from pastoral experience. People hesitate to enter a church building because they fear they will be judged for what they wear, for who they are, for not being good enough, and on and on. In a recent poll of American attitudes toward Christianity, 54% of non-religious respondents identified Christians as judgmental. At some point, we Christians as a whole must get it into our minds, our hearts, our disposition, and our practice that we are not to judge our neighbors, but to love our neighbors. We are not to adjudicate the weeds, but to bear fruit as wheat. We are not to take up our gavel, but to take up our cross. Nor are we called to separate from the weeds. The specious ideal of a Christian enclave safely demarcated from the world is totally foreign to the parable. The all-too-common fortress mentality is out of the picture. Bible scholar Frederick Dale Bruner writes, Christians who separate others from themselves or themselves from others too promptly or too severely are confronted by this inclusive parable. Indeed, the scripture says, let both of them grow together. The summons is to togetherness. Not dissociation. Christ himself hung out with all sorts of folks. Good and bad. Impious and pious. Clean and unclean. And following him entails doing likewise. All of this, of course, is temporary. For we are awaiting harvest time. The final judgment. When the weeds, Jesus says, will be tossed into the fire. And the wheat, Jesus says, will be gathered into the barn. 
This echoes Matthew 3, 12. He will clear his threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the granary. The gathering of wheat into the granary or into the barn evokes eternal life in the kingdom of heaven. It's a poetic image of what Jesus says in Matthew 13, 43. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. The parable calls for patient endurance, fruitful development, and restraint from judgment in view of our steadfast hope for ultimate salvation. This is where my late friend Joe Sawyer comes in. Joe really was one of a kind, a thoughtful Christian with a unique personality. Once when I was talking with Joe at Wednesday night supper at church, he told me about his favorite college football team. It's a famous team that's had many winning seasons over the years, and Joe had supported them loyally and fiercely for decades. But he said that in his older age, he had become so nervous and so stressed and so worked up during their ball games that he could no longer watch them live. <laughs> Instead, every week, Joe recorded their ball game. Then he found out if they won. If his team had won, he would go back and watch the entire game. If his team had lost, he would not watch the game at all. <laughs> Joe could only stand the ups and downs of an intense contest if he knew in advance that it would end in victory. He was only willing to endure the games that he knew would end well. Friends, what Jesus shows us in the parable is the end of the game. The reason we can persevere through the ups and downs of existence is because we know who wins. We've been given the outcome in advance. We're already privy to the final score. And it's a guaranteed victory. This is not the victory of Christian dominionism, but the victory of God's righteousness over all wickedness. The victory of God's justice over all injustice. The victory of God's truth over all falsehood. The victory of God's love over all hate. And the victory of God's peace over all chaos. We are not to be petrified by the evil that surrounds us because God's righteousness will conquer in the end. We are not to judge anybody else because God will take care of that in God's own good time. We are not to pull up any weeds because God will handle that as well. Rather, we are to grow and to develop and to blossom and to bear fruit in God's field as we faithfully await God's final judgment. The hope Christ has given us is that no bad thing is the last thing. No wickedness is uh, ultimate. No iniquity is for eternity. No injustice is infinite. No unrighteousness is unending, for evil will be weeded out in the end. 
and the wheat will be gathered into the barn and the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of the Father. <laughs> Amen? Amen. If you have never put your faith in Christ, won't you come forward this morning and trust Christ as your Lord and Savior? If you've never been baptized and you want to be baptized, I welcome you to come forward during this last song. If you want to join the Second Baptist Church, I'd gladly receive you down front during this final hymn of the service. But I do encourage you as we stand to sing our last hymn of praise today to respond as the Holy Spirit leads.